Hello, and welcome to the Millennial Nutritionist Podcast. I'm Isla Garcia, Master's Degree of Nutrition Science and Registered Dietitian, and I'm going to make weight loss realistic, sustainable, and uncomplicated for your busy lifestyle. On this podcast, me and my team of registered dietitians will decipher the latest nutrition research, dissect fad diets, and discuss social media trends for you so you can feel confident knowing what to eat to achieve your health goals. Research suggests that most weight loss programs aren't successful, but my experience has taught me that this is not because the participants aren't committed. It's because those diets are designed by non-nutrition professionals and center around severe restrictions. We are here to provide the facts about the science of weight loss so you can have the success you want and continue living your best life. Welcome back to the Millennial Nutritionist Podcast. My name is Isla, your founder, CEO, and host of the Millennial Nutritionist. Today, we're going to talk about beef for protein. So protein is very important for weight loss, and animal protein is one of the easiest ways to meet your protein goals because it's typically the lowest amount of calories per gram of food item because it's an isolated source of just protein, pretty much. I do often get questions about sustainability and eating a lot of meat. So I wanted to bring on an expert to talk about this topic because I don't feel qualified answering all the intricate questions. Today, I have on Dr. Wickersham, a professor of animal nutrition and Texas A&M University to clear up some misconceptions about the beef industry. We're going to talk a bit about some sustainability conversation in the TV show Yellowstone, bust some myths about beef and answer some of your questions. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Workersham. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Um, So first, can you tell us why did you decide to pursue this area of study? Um, Why the passion for beef cows? Why do you think it's, um, why did you want to teach about it? Kind of tell us what, how you got here. Okay, so I grew up on a ranch with a few cows. Uh, I went off to college to actually be a lawyer. I decided kind of early in that process, I didn't really want to be a lawyer. And I really liked animal nutrition because it combines science. So your basic biology, biochemistry, organic chemistry, and math. I've always liked math as well. And I really liked cows. Uh, I've enjoyed cows my entire life. And so it just kind of combined all those things together. And then I really wanted to become a professor because I like young people Uh and enjoy working with young people, teaching them about beef cattle nutrition. It's been a lot of fun doing that. And we still have a few cows outside of town uh, kind of as a hobby. So it's been good. Nice. Nice. Why do you feel like it's important that we continue to like research beef and in our food system? I guess the biggest reason I feel like it's important that beef cattle are a part of our food system is beef cattle allow us to use sources of nutrients that we can't use. So beef cattle have a four-chambered stomach, whereas we just have a one-chambered stomach. And in the first two chambers, there's lots of microbes. Mm -hmm. And those microbes allow cattle to go out and consume grass and then convert that grass into products that you and I enjoy consuming, whether that's meat or milk. And I think by doing that, they really fill a unique niche in our food supply. So a lot of the United States, a lot of the world We can't grow crops on, but we can grow grass. And uh, by incorporating cattle, we can make better use of that land and the grass that grows on that land. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I have some myth busters or some questions. And I think one of those kind of gets to that, that I didn't even think about where somebody's kind of asking like, are cows cows using or eating things that humans can eat? And it kind of sounds like you're already answering that question that no, they do have kind of a different purpose. We can't just eat the same things that they eat. Is that kind of what you're saying? 
Right, and so basically, I mean, that's one of the values of cows if you compare them to other animal source proteins. So pigs and chickens are have a more similar gastrointestinal tract to us, especially pigs, very similar. Mm -hmm. And so they can eat a diet that is consumable by people. You and I could consume a lot of the same things they eat. Whereas for the majority of a beef animal's life, they're consuming feed products that you and I can't consume. Um, there's a small window there where we feed them corn, which you and I can consume. Um, but from an amino acid standpoint, it's not all that valuable. A lot of calories in corn, uh, but not a great source of essential amino acids to meet our requirements. So we feed that to the cattle. That really increases the value of that protein source for us. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I was looking on your profile on the Texas A&M website, um, and it says that you direct research in forage utilization and nitrogen utilization. Can you even explain what that is? Okay. So forage utilization is basically helping cows eat the grass better. Uh -huh. So for a long time, we've been working. It's one of those things like you, you, know, you go to graduate school and you're like, I'm going to do this. And you don't really realize what that's going to mean for the rest of your life. And so I went uh -huh. to graduate school to learn how to feed mature cows. And what we did work on there was on utilizing low quality forage. So forage with very little nitrogen mm. and provide them a protein supplement, just like we might take a supplement and we provide them a protein supplement and that protein supplement really increases their ability to eat the grass. Mm -hmm. And so they harvest more nutrients from it. It makes them more efficient. They can maintain body weight, body condition score and have calves and take better care of those calves as a result of protein supplementation. And then I've spent the last basically 25 years of my life doing that. And so what the graduate students, we kind of work on three big areas. The two that we generally work on the most would be what kind of protein supplements can we give to the animal to improve forage utilization? Mm -hmm. So we try and look at byproducts from other industries that humans can't consume. So we've done a lot of work with like cottonseed products. Humans can't consume cottonseed products because it has some toxins. And then uh, we've done some work with algae, leftover algae remnants from oil production, and then distiller's grains. And then most recently, we've been working with Texas State University on feeding black soldier fly larva as a kind of non-conventional non protein source just to see if it works. And you can provide cattle just basically any source of protein, and they do really well. Mm -hmm. Now we're looking at two different types of cattle and how they utilize nitrogen. So since you're new to Texas, um, you might not have seen them, but some cows in Texas and other parts of the world are boss indicus. So they're, um, they have a hump in the long ears. Mm -hmm. And so they're really good at nitrogen metabolism. They can serve it better. So we're trying to figure out why. Because um, oh. if we figure out why they do better with nitrogen, then maybe we can help all cattle do better with nitrogen. Why is that even important? Like, is it important for our nutrition or is it important for their lives? Can you say that again? Yeah, so it's going to be important for their lives. It allows us to um, meet their requirements better. Mm -hmm. The reason it's important to us is if you look at sustainability in general, we talk about kind of the three pillars. There's uh, the social or societal, uh, the environment, and then economic. And so when we look at nitrogen, nitrogen really touches two of those, the environment and the economics. So supplemental nitrogen sources are expensive for producers. Mm -hmm. And then there's an environmental cost to excessive nitrogen excretion. So we're trying to reduce that. And then you could even tie the societal thing there because if we can feed less nitrogen, we can decrease the cost. Beef becomes an option for more consumers. 
Gotcha. Okay. So already kind of talking about the sustainability piece. I love it. Um, I had a random question that just popped my head too. Um, Just so people can kind of appreciate what um, people in your industry do, or even just like that the fact that we have animal scientists, because some people not not even know that for the, the students that you teach, like what, what do they typically go on to do? All I normally think of are like vets. Is that common or is it really just, they go on to do more research too? So most of the students will come to our major. Uh, one of the things that's kind of crazy is people think it's not, it's like a small thing. And so like the class I teach in undergraduates, we have about 550 students take animal nutrition a year. Uh-huh. Um, there's lots of reasons they take it. It is a prerequisite to get into vet school. So mm-hmm. everybody who goes to vet school has to have animal nutrition. Makes sense, right? Um, we have a lot of students who will take it even though they're going to med school because you can learn a lot about the anatomy and physiology and how that digestion and absorption works. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we kind of have vets, we have a lot of doctors and dentists and PAs and nurses and and then kind of the other careers available animal science, this then go to graduate school, get PhDs, do consulting type things. But a lot of them actually go out in the industry, run their own ranches, run their own operations, and they have to have a basic understanding of how nutrition works. Because a lot of the cost of animal production is feed. Mm-hmm. Feeds are expensive and that's what we spend a lot of money on so knowing the best way to feed um, has the potential to help their animals perform better right just like i'm sure you tell your clients if they consume a better diet they're going to have better healthier lives and the same thing with um, cattle and horses and all the animals if we feed them an appropriate diet they have healthier lives We're highlighting a lot of protein information for you for the month of April. So I wanted to include an ad that can make protein intake easier for you. I'm talking about Kevin's Natural Foods. I'm really excited about this ad because it's a product that I already recommend to clients anyway. I reached out to see if we could get a discount code for you and an affiliate code for me, and they were all on board. So here we go. We're all about whole foods at The Millennial Nutritionist, as in food in their most natural form, and Kevin's Natural Foods really fit that criteria. They offer pasta meal kits, heat and eat sides like mashed cauliflower, and what I normally recommend to clients, their refrigerated chicken entrees like Thai, coconut, and Korean barbecue chicken. These are great for weight loss because they are an easy protein source that you could buy from the store and take home and just heat up. I know that a lot of you struggle with having enough time to make those important high protein meals, so check out Kevin's Natural Foods to solve that problem. If you come home at the end of the day and you know you just really don't want to cook something from scratch, this could be a really easy thing to just pull out of the fridge, add a vegetable and maybe a whole grain to it, and that is good enough for your meal. Enjoy the rest of your evening and go to bed. You can find Kevin's Natural Foods at a lot of grocery stores, Whole Foods being one of them. But if you order online and use the code TMN at checkout, you'll receive 10% off your purchase, your first purchase. For our pop culture article or conversation, the whole reason I kind of wanted to, I thought of this topic to cover was Yellowstone. So I don't know how many other people re- watch it. I like took a pause from watching it. And then I um, was, when I moved to Texas, I was like reinvigorated because I don't know about where you live, but up here, it's like everybody's obsessed with Yellowstone. Do you ever hear about it or no? You just so outside of that sphere. The students are real fired up about it. They really yeah. like it. They let me know about it. And they always want me to watch it. And I just, I've never really got into it. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think it might start to fizzle out because apparently I don't think Kevin Costner's coming back. So maybe yeah. it was good that um, you're not watching it now. But there was a recent storyline that kind of is still going on that piqued my interest as a dietitian. Um, the main character, Kevin Costner, who's playing the head ranch man, um, John Dutton, has a girlfriend who is an animal rights activist. Um, and this is problematic because John Dutton is like the head yeah, beef rancher. Um, and so a lot of times they have like these little micro conversations that never really go on because it's not the whole plot of the story um but where they'll get into kind of like scuttles or arguments about like why the um animal rights activist girlfriend thinks that it's so bad that they're eating meat or anything animal product related and i didn't know if you i dropped some clips in there um and didn't know if you had any like initial thoughts about like any of the conversations that they were having like there's one conversation about like how she wants to eat like wheatgrass and they're like, well, just go chop up the grass that the cows eat. Like, is that even the same thing or any thoughts on any of the clips in general? Well, not uh, to my knowledge, I've not consumed wheatgrass, <laughs> but cows do consume wheatgrass, it's grass. In certain parts of the country, we can grow wheat for humans to consume. But during the winter while it's growing, in the spring while it's growing, you can actually graze cattle and it's kind of a dual purpose crop. So, and then you pull the cattle off and the wheat grows and then you harvest the wheat. For human consumption um, that's not what you're really asking me about but of the clips you sent me um i think all of the conversations are good and they make some good points and some things to think about mm -hmm. um, it's been funny the students have talked a lot of i hadn't watched it in, or heard about it until you sent me the clips and i watched them uh, about the you know how many moles and yeah and all that stuff and so the students have like it makes sense now because for the last you know little while they've been talking about that in class you know like how big does the animal have to be for you to care yeah and so because as you can imagine most of the students are pro consuming beef mm -hmm. in our department but there are a few who aren't so I mean I think that's a good point I think one of the things that people forget is from an animal welfare standpoint it's really important for beef producers like myself and then from a research standpoint uh, we want the animals to have good lives mm -hmm. One, because like I genuinely like cows, like themselves. And then also from a more pragmatic standpoint, they perform better and do better mm. if they're in a good environment, environment where they're not stressed, where they don't feel unsafe and their nutrient requirements are met. They're going to be healthier, perform better, grow better. And ultimately that translates into better performance for the producer. And then I think some of the comments they made about the like, I don't know where wheatgrass comes into a human diet. Maybe you could tell me, like, is it really a Jamba juice, like they said in the clip? Or, uh, and I don't know if it's the same wheatgrass, right? But like alfalfa sprouts, it's the same alfalfa. We just, you know, it grows a lot longer and we feed like the entire crop, not just these little sprouted seeds. Uh, the other thing is, I guess, some of those components you can consume in their young and mature stage and you can derive some nutritional value out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but most of it's cellulose and we don't have the capacity mm. to digest and utilize cellulose. So then is there an argument to be made that it's better used to allow it to grow and let the cow eat it and then we basically eat the beef? So I think the amount of wheatgrass that's consumed by humans is insignificant relative to the amount of grass consumed by humans or by cattle. Uh -huh. um, so there is a lot more value in allowing a human to consume it. You know, it's like we talk about in class a lot. No one on their way to class stops and eats the grass in the yard, mm -hmm. right? a yard outside the building. They're going to eat something that's that their bodies, the physiology of their bodies are designed to utilize. And we're just not good grass utilizers. 
Right. And that's one thing that kind of, I wish I got that clip because that's honestly the clip I wanted to get the comment on the most is there's one part where Beth, who is the daughter, um, she's like the sassy redhead um, in one of the clips, she's uh, making the argument that we don't have a four chamber stomach like animals that eat grass do. And I never took an animal nutrition class. So can you, yeah, can you explain like what that would, what is the difference then? Because she kind of makes the argument that we're not really supposed to be eating the same foods they eat. Is that true? Or what What do you think that's that true. means? That's true. So if you look at anybody who consumes a large amount of grass or roughage, forage, things you would graze, there's two big groups. And the first group would be ruminants. And so that would be like sheep, goats, cattle, giraffes, deer, elk, bison. And um, think of cowish kind of animals. Mm -hmm. Um, They have four compartments, like we said earlier, in the first two compartments, there was a lot of microbial activity, Mm -hmm. bacteria, protozoa, and fungi. And they're going to use fermentation to digest the forage. Grains have starch, right? Mm-hmm. And starch has alpha-1,4 bonds, whereas grasses have cellulose. Mm-hmm. Cellulose has beta bonds. And humans, mammals in and of themselves, don't have the enzymes to digest the beta bonds. And okay. the cow uses microbes. The microbes produce the enzymes to digest the beta bonds. Interesting. Like you literally can't utilize that cellulose. You have no real capacity. You can in your large intestine a little bit, but it's still really limited, right? Mm-hmm. You have to have the microbes. In. The other alternative would be like to be a horse. Horses aren't ruminants, but they can graze mm-hmm. and they exist on fermentation in their large intestine and cecum, but they have a huge large intestine and cecum, whereas we don't. Maybe like half the two, half the listeners just tuned out when I said beta bonds. <laughs> But, no, I think uh, that is interesting because I was going to ask that. I'm like, isn't it all just come down to fiber? But it sounds like you're saying there it is still different. Like even though we can't obje- uh, digest all the fiber, there's still some more useful to us compared to like we can't just go out and eat grass for fiber. Fiber in us isn't really digestible until we get to the large intestine. Mm-hmm. It doesn't provide any calories, which is one of the reasons you would recommend people consume it, right? It's because it makes you full. It makes you feel Yeah, it's full. like a filler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not really doing anything. It's helping your large intestine be healthier and make you feel better theoretically. And so, whereas they're actually going to digest and utilize the fiber. And the interesting thing we talk about a lot in class is what we consider high fiber for humans. When we feed it to cattle, we consider that low fiber. Because they can use it all. Unlike we can, is that what you're saying? Right. So like we would consider oatmeal, like a relatively high fiber source, whereas oats would be about as good as it ever gets for a cow. That's like the most energy, the most starch, the most everything. Whole grains, when we consume whole grains, that's actually high fiber for us. But for them, that'd be low fiber. Interesting. If you look at grass, like bad grass, it'd be 80%, 75, 80% fiber. Interesting. No, that's a lot. I feel like, yeah, I feel like that's getting to the whole point of like, I feel like so many people think that we just have cows to like go to like Brazilian steakhouses and stuff. Like they're not really a part of like a real purpose. And I'm, I feel like I'm starting to understand that there is like this whole chain of purpose for us to utilize their nutrition. The other thing we do with them that a lot of people don't recognize is we feed them byproducts, byproducts from like when we make high fructose corn syrup or when we make ethanol for our cars, there's leftover parts of the corn kernel that we don't really have a lot of use for. And so we feed those to cattle. There are byproducts from cotton that we feed to cattle. It's a way for us to get rid of these large quantities of byproducts in a way that produces something of value for humans. Because where so else would that did, go? Yeah. Um, one of the things is you could like burn it, but that's mm-hmm. not a great either. Use it as a heat source. But 
it's good for the cows. It's really great nutrition. Interesting. Interesting. Um, okay. Well, there's a lot of good stuff already. I feel like we're going to kind of dip into these questions. We're kind of like okay. getting into the, um, I found some myth busters um, that would be interesting because I feel like that's all when it comes to like beef and I definitely need to find a dairy person. So if you know a dairy person, I feel like dairy's worse than beef <laughs> with all these myth busters. But I found some common ones that I do hear a lot um, when it comes, when I constantly recommend, I mean, I recommend eating protein because I feel I'm animal products for protein because I just find it's easiest for people who are on the go. You can just get so much more for your bang for your buck, stuff like that. Um, but I get a lot of these uh, questions when I recommend it. So one of the first ones is, um, I feel like the biggest one, like what about organic free range? Like which one should people be picking? Like, is this healthier versus like you just go to Aldi and buy the most basic cheapest cut you can find? Um, like kind of like what really, can you even maybe just explain like what really is organic free range beef? Uh, so basically there's different methods of production and mm-hmm. I'm supportive of all methods of production in terms of like, if someone wants to produce an organic beef product and someone wants to purchase it, I think that's a really good thing. I think it's good for the beef industry. I think it's good for the consumers. Uh, nutritionally, the biggest difference in beef would be how lean it is. And so how much marbling or how much fat is contained in that product. Mm-hmm. And so kind of an interesting point is most people want to consume high-end beef products, right? Like the prime steaks would be the greatest value because they have the best eating experience, the best taste, the most tender, the best flavor. Um, but sometimes they generally have more fat, right? That's what makes them taste good. That way it makes them more tender. Um, so really like for me, uh, I don't have a problem with that. Like, I think it's good to consume fat, uh, mm-hmm. like in moderation to some extent. Uh, so the nutritional differences between those products is the degree of leanness. And you can have lean products in all kinds of different production systems, and you can have more fat products in all kinds of production systems. And so really what you're looking for is how lean of product you want to consume. Okay. So are you saying that's a bigger difference than looking for organic versus free range? Or are you connecting the right. fat content? Saying, well, uh, the organic free range is maybe, uh, depends organic, not so much, but the free range or the grass-fed beef is generally a little leaner because uh, it's harder to get them fat. It's harder to get the degree of marbling that we would need to get to like prime in those systems. Some people can do it and they do it really well. But in general, it's a little leaner. And so there's some value in that if you want to have a leaner cut of beef. But there are also other lean cuts. Of, I mean, there's just as many. Uh, I'm sad I don't remember the number off the top of my head. But there's lots of lean cuts of beef from conventional production, too. Okay. Uh, but I guess the biggest thing from a health standpoint that I would look at is uh, if I was trying to reduce the amount of fat intake, how lean it is. Mm-hmm. But when you look at beef, like the amino acids that are there, those are really fixed by biology and it doesn't really matter the system we produce them in, right? Like the muscle is the muscle and it's going to contain the amino acids and the protein and the iron and the zinc and all of those things. The only thing we really change in the animal nutritionally is how much fat there is in the animal. Gotcha. And you can change the compass. So you can read some things where they can change the composition of fat a little bit and get a little more omega-3s or less omega-6s. Uh, and grass-fed beef, but it's not enough to really make a difference in your life, right? As you know, if you want to really consume omega-3s, fish are the way to go or supplements are the way to consume omega-3s. It's hard to get them in a diet that doesn't involve marine sources of lipids. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. I hope that answered your question. 
Yeah. I feel like it's telling people that it's fine. Like we don't need to be stressing out about all that, that part about beef in general. And I think if you like, if you want to consume, like sometimes consumers want to like consume a story. Yeah. They want to like, they want to know know it's like dancing around out there. Right. They just want to know what's going on. And I think that's a fine thing, but everybody has a choice to make, right? Mm -hmm. Those products, the organic or the grass fed or whatever generally cost more. What about land that is used for cattle could be used for growing produce? What do you have to say about that? Is that a myth? Is that true? What do you think? So I would say that's generally a myth. Um, Most of the land where we grow cattle, most of the grassland can't really be utilized for anything else. The reason it can't really be used for anything else is generally marginal soil quality. The weather doesn't work well for growing other crops. And then also terrain. It's too rocky, too hilly, too swampy, too whatever. Can't necessarily grow crops there. And then the environment, like winter doesn't work well or those kind of things to grow produce. Mm-hmm. Um, the one area where we kind of compete would be with corn. And so we feed corn to cattle. We feed relatively small amount of the US corn production goes to feeding cattle. A lot of it goes to feeding pigs and chickens and uh, used for fuel and other uh, industrial uses. So most of the land, we couldn't even grow crops on anyway that cattle are on for most of their lives. And then a small amount of land is used to grow corn. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I would say about even that small, la- small amount of land used to grow corn is a lot of the produce crops or the crops we might be interested in consuming, like fruits and vegetables that we might actually want to consume, generally doesn't grow well in those environments where we can grow large amounts of corn. So one time we had this interesting discussion. If um, if people wanted to consume those crops, there would be an economic incentive to produce those crops, and the corn farmers would grow those co- crops, mm-hmm. right? Like if they could grow them and if they could make money doing it, they would do it. So uh, I don't think there's as much competition between cattle and humans as people think there are. We did this project on protein upcycling, uh-huh. and so that's kind of a phrase we coined to talk about what beef cattle do. They take low quality proteins and they bring a lot of value to it. And what we did is we looked at the corn that we feed to beef animals. Mm-hmm. We kind of one beef animal and said, what if I took that corn I fed to a beef animal and used that to meet the amino acid requirements of children? Mm-hmm. How many kids could I feed? And we came up with somewhere around three to four kids that could meet their amino acid requirements for a year. If I took that same corn and fed it to a steer, I could meet the protein requirements for somewhere around 17 children for one year. And so you basically get three to four times, four to five times the amount of high quality protein out of that as you would if you just gave the kids the corn. And the challenge with giving them the corn, as you know, is it contains a lot of calories. Like as we started the podcast, you said you really like to recommend beef because not very many calories, but a great source of amino acids. And so um, that's what I think, you know, they are competing by consuming corn, but we're getting a lot of value. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it. We did have to, my, in my uh, metabolism class in uh, grad school, we did have to do like a project kind of like that, where we were trying to make like a little self-sustainable little plot and we couldn't do it without doing some sort of animals, even if it was just mealworms. Cause like you said, it's just, it's impossible to meet all of your requirements with like one little acre of land. So I totally believe it. Um, you, they give a lot of nutrient cycling, so it's a good thing. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're fine. The last MythBuster I have is um, the beef industry uses old science technology 
this is the way of the past. Do you think that is a myth? What is your opinion on that comment? I think that's probably the most interesting myth you bring um, because generally what we kind of get beat up on or like a lot of questions about, questions would be a better way to phrase that, we'll get a lot of questions about is why we use science and technology to produce beef because sometimes consumers aren't comfortable with that and Mm -hmm. they would like us to go more to a free range or a grass-fed beef product, um, which would actually be an older technology. Oh, yeah. Uh, In the last few years, the beef industry has been really concerned with sustainability or people have been concerned about beef industry sustainability. And the beef industry was not consciously trying to improve sustainability over the last 50 years, but we did some retroactive look. We looked backwards. What we found is the beef industry has really improved sustainability over time. And that's by implementing more precise diets, better health management, reproductive technology. So like selecting better animals, um, getting them bred more, and then just genetic selection and nutrition and just in general, taking a better, better care of the animal, better care of the environment mm-hmm. and applying those technologies and science, we really improved beef production. And I think that's something consumers don't necessarily understand um, is that the way we raise beef now by using science and technology has really improved sustainability and should help consumers feel better about the beef they're consuming, like that it has a smaller environmental footprint and doing less to impact the environment than it did 20 years ago, 50 years ago, or 100 years ago. Yeah. Could you give a, like a specific example or detail on that? Because I probably should have asked another question about more like specific like beef sustainability. Like wh- what is a way that like we're more sustainable now eating beef versus 10 years ago? So um, the way that's probably easiest for the consumers to understand is we've decreased methane production per unit of beef pretty dramatically over the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. is the lowest. If you look at the intensity, the kilograms of methane per kilogram of beef produced, we have the lowest intensity or one of the lowest intensities and if we went back to more of a grass-fed system that would go back up oh okay i was gonna ask like how do they get there so it is it goes back to that animal nutrition like what they're feeding them now yes animal nutrition and then selection and then just improvements in the whole value chain interesting so are you saying there's an argument to be made that free range is like less sustainable is that what you're saying yeah i mean there are aspects so um, sustainability is a balancing act Uh uh-huh And so you have give and take on different things, right? We were talking about protein upcycling before. The more grass they consume, the more protein they're producing that doesn't directly compete with humans. Mm. But when you consume more grass, you actually produce more methane. Gotcha. Okay. So we have to, and you know, if you consume more grass, you're going to use more land. Mm -hmm. So land just kind of goes up. So it's like trying to find a balance. And that's why I said earlier, I think, you know, consumers want to, are attracted to certain types of production processes, right? Someone might want to might want to consume grass-fed products, mm-hmm. so uh, those might cost a little more or have a little different cost. But they can, I think, they should have the freedom to choose that. Who is responsible for like determining the sustainability or improving the sustainability? Is it coming down to the farmer? Is it coming down to the scientists, the food industry? Who is that? So I don't think it was a conscious, I don't think, I mean, now it is a conscious effort to really try and quantify and look for ways we can improve that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all the producers of the beef industry in the United States working together mm. to make a more sustainable industry. So if I, at the cow-calf level, take a better care of my cows and then provide better calves, 
to the stocker or the feedlot operator, they can be more sustainable. They can improve their production practices. So it's everybody along the entire value chain um, doing their part to make things better. Okay. So I don't think it's any one person waking up one day and saying we're going to be sustainable. I think it's everybody making their operation more sustainable. Mm -hmm. We did a, another project a while ago, and we looked at different mitigation strategies for sustainability, ways to improve sustainability. Mm -hmm. And every one of the ways to improve sustainability also made producers more money. And Interesting. More profitable. So there's incentives for all the ways that improve sustainability also increase profitability. And so there's incentive for the producer to make a more sustainable product. That's awesome. Cause I feel like so often I hear that it's like counterintuitive. Like so many companies now are like making a product and then like buying these credits to like also put a tree up in the Amazon or something like that. But you're saying for like beef that it is one and the same. Yeah. I mean, yes. Another thing to think about with beef is it's kind of part of a natural cycle anyway, right? We've had large herbivores grazing on grasslands since before people, mm -hmm. beef animals are doing that. It's a large part of the beef production system is very natural and replacing large herbivores. Moving on to the audience questions. Um, I'll just have two here. So the first one, I feel like you maybe kind of hit on both of these, but maybe just for clarity again, um, can you speak to grass-fed versus grain-fed beef? Does that go back to the free range or no, that's different? That's the same. Um, oh. They're basically the same. I would say, you know, cattle aren't really, they're confined. We put them in feedlots, but they're not confined like maybe like a chicken so grass-fed would be when you said free range i interpreted it as grass-fed so yeah i don't know so <laughs> i don't even no, really know what that like, means i probably should but it would be animals that are finished on grass versus animals that are finished in a feedlot gotcha so gotcha are you good with that terminology or do you want feedlot defined or um yeah maybe define it because i don't know what that means either okay so a feedlot is so if we look at beef production we kind of have three phases we have the cow-calf phase which is the phase you see when you drive around Texas, Oklahoma, or anywhere, and you see cows out grazing and they have their calves with them, that'd be the cow calves. The calves live there with their mom for about seven months. And then sometimes the calves will go to a stalker phase, which is where they graze by themselves without their mothers. So they're weaned, they graze, they graze around. And then we put them in a feedlot. And a feedlot's where they're finished. And so they grow and we finish them. We allow them to grow rapidly and then they deposit uh, fat. And that's where we see an increase in marbling. And so this is where we generally feed the corn to the animal. And so a grass finished system would get rid of the feedlot phase and the animal would grow to more grass. Earlier you asked, you know, is that less sustainable? Well, one of the challenges with grass fed systems is in most cases, the animal is in those a lot longer than they would be in the feedlot. Mm. And so they're going to produce more methane over that time point. They're going to consume more feed over that time point. So it requires more land, but they're also different things. So does that make sense? Yeah. I think my follow-up question to that is um, a really basic question that I don't know the answer to. Is the methane the biggest argument for uh, eating beef as less sustainable or are there other facets of it? I think um, it's methane, water use, land use, and then there's the animal welfare health thing. The challenge with the methane, in my mind, is methane is part of the natural carbon cycle. Mm -hmm. And so methane actually, in contrast to CO2, like from your car, if you like get oil and burn oil, right, you've released CO2 that had previously been trapped in the ground. When cows produce methane, that was CO2, that was carbon from a plant. The plant captured the carbon and then the cow releases the carbon as methane. 
And in about 12 years, that methane is converted back to CO2. By that time point, it's back to CO2. And then a plant can catch it again. And then the cow consumes it again. Mm. So it has a, there's like a natural carbon cycle there that a lot of people don't realize. They think the cows are just producing methane, methane, methane. The amount of methane keeps growing up. Yeah, that's what I pictured. <laughs> yeah, like it's exploding. much flatter than that. It's much more. If you have a constant population of cows, it's much flatter. Whereas if you keep burning, driving your car every day, it keeps going straight up. Does mm. that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. But people just understand the methane thing and it gets talked a lot about. So I think that's why we talk about it. And a lot of people don't know that the beef industry and ruminant production in general has been trying to reduce methane for as long as we've known about it because it represents energy cost. So the mm -hmm. cow loses energy. Mm -hmm. So from a beef standpoint, it's better for us to try and reduce methane as much as possible. And so we're actively, like a lot of people are actively doing research and trying to figure out how we can decrease methane. And we've been effective at some level in decreasing methane, but we'd like to be more effective. What do cows eat? Um, I don't know if we generally answer that question. And then do they eat food that humans could eat? So cows do eat you know, food that humans can eat. And that would generally be in the form of corn. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's different than the corn that you and I consume, right? It's field corn. Mm -hmm. So it's not like corn on the cob or, you know, it's different. It's produced mainly as animal feed or to make ethanol from mm -hmm. that corn. That would be generally consumed during the feedlot phase. But other than that, they don't really compete. And their competition, the amount of corn we use, and since 2006 has really gone down because we're feeding more and more byproducts to cattle. Is this one? Okay, I saw this random article, I feel like when I was in grad school about cows getting fed Skittles. Did that ever, did you hear about that? Is that real? Yeah, we did a podcast, like our radio or podcast interview. Really? Eating Skittles. Um, so the Skittles were, they got spilled on the side of the road. Oh. So they couldn't use them for, they couldn't use them for humans. Uh-huh. So they fed them to cows, the cattle. And would that do anything, like given them extra sugar or to the way they process it? Is so you would have to feed it slowly because um, the rumen isn't really designed to consume large amounts of sugar because mm -hmm. the fermentation will go crazy. Um, but you can feed bakery waste. There's lots of products that can be fed to cattle that we wouldn't consume. When I was growing up, we fed onions, like waste onions and waste carrots and waste potatoes. So instead of just throwing them away, we'd feed them. They make sugar from beets. They feed a lot of beet pulp in places. So there's lots of micro areas where there are just supply of nutrients that you wouldn't normally be normally think of being fed to cattle that we could feed the cow. Interesting. It's making me want to find I, tr I try to compost, but I live in an apartment, so I like don't even know where it goes. I feel like it'd be so cool if I could much cooler if I could just give it all to a cow or something. Yeah, that doesn't work. I mean, they're not good with some things. So yeah. we can feed them the bakery ways. Yeah. Well, to kind of wrap it all up, um, if somebody is really, really still concerned with like wanting, like they feel okay with eating beef now, but they still want to worry about like the sustainability, what is like one actual tip they can do to try to be more sustainable with eating beef if that is even like something they can do? I think the biggest thing you can do to try and be more sustainable with beef consumption, not waste it. Mm. So when we look at sustainability, one of the biggest things we have in the United States is food wastage. Mm -hmm. And so. And this is with, you know, any animal source. An animal basically gave its life to make that food product. Right. And so it's up to us to honor that and consume it if it was made for that purpose. And then mm -hmm. the other thing, I mean, that's just in general, you know, one of the advantages we have is 
from a food waste standpoint, we do a really good job consuming meat and not wasting it like we do vegetables because it's expensive, right? Mm -hmm. If you buy a steak, you're going to eat it. You're not just going to let it sit in the bottom of the fridge and go to waste. So I think for the consumer, that would be the biggest thing they could do. And then maybe the other thing would be the packaging and the shipping and all of those things involved in getting the actual meat product to them. It's not something we often think about, but that's a, I heard some advertisements for the well, there should be these small amounts of meat. It's like, well, it's much more effective for you to go to the grocery store and pick up the meat than it is to get small shipments of meat to your house. Oh, that's a good point. Good to know. And those are both things that are very easy and affordable, I feel like too, because that's the biggest thing when it comes to sustainability. A lot of things are perceived as super expensive. So I think those are really good tips. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I think this was really informative, even especially for me. I didn't realize how much I didn't know on this topic either. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Wickersham. Um, and I just want to plug our email newsletter. Please make sure to sign up. If you go on our website, it's the first thing that kind of pops up on the home screen. You'll get kind of plugged in to all things millennial nutritionists if you like this content. But thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Millennial Nutritionist Podcast. For daily weight loss tips and nutrition information, you can find us on Instagram at the.millennial.nutritionist and on TikTok at millennial.nutritionist. If you find this information helpful, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend who needs encouragement on their health journey. See you in the next episode.